Uh, we are starting a, a three-month series. We're going to embark on an adventure together, and it's going to be called the uh, the three pillars. Um, because they're the three pillars of our church. And what we're saying is we believe that this church is founded and held up by these three things. I'm saying that every believer, that their life should be held up by these three things. I'm saying that in our individual lives and in our lives in a communal setting, I'm saying at home and at church and our jobs, these three things should always be holding us up as a Christian. And so we're going to spend three months on all three of the pillars. Uh, amen. And the, the, the pillars are your relationship with God, your relationship with the community, and evangelism. Um, and so basically... What we've been saying is this church exists to draw you closer to God, to f let you find a place to belong in a tight-knit community, and to literally apply your gifts to helping those in need, right? And so that's how we God, community, the lost. And that if every Christian begins to focus on putting God first, of really preferring the brethren and really spreading the message to those who are lost, that Christian will never find a lack in their life before God because everything he's called us to do lands under one of those three things. Amen. And so we're going to spend the next month talking about our relationship with God. And as we're going to be calling it all month, our first love. First love. If you uh, look in the book of Revelation, which is not what I'm preaching on this week, it's actually next week. Uh, Jesus sends a letter to a church and he says, like, you guys are great. You guys did this right. And you guys did this right. You did this right. But I have this thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. What is he saying? He goes, you're, you're in church. You're a part of it. You're about it. You love it but you forgot me. And what becomes so crazy is that we, we can get so involved in what we're about that even though we're still doing it, we're not about it anymore. We're about the action more than why we were there in the first place. Uh, there's a, a story of a senator whose name I absolutely forget. Um, there's a story of a senator that really got involved in helping underprivileged children. Right, And so he was really big on helping the inner city streets, and he was really big on helping the people who were broken and who were in need and who were being raised in bad homes and, and who statistically were more likely to grow up to become criminals, more likely to end up in jail right, because of the, the area they were in. And so he really began to push and help them. And as the story goes, is that a young kid came to meet him in his office and that his secretary basically said, hey, sir, uh, one of the kids you've been helping is here. And the senator said, tell the kid that since I've picked up the mantle of helping him, I've had no longer had the time for the individual. What he was saying was, because I'm helping the whole community, I can't take care of the individual anymore. And what's interesting about that is he became so about doing what he was doing that he stopped realizing what it was about, which was about that individual child. And as a, it's fancy because the woman's response was not even God's that busy. Um, and so kind of as we embark, I want to start with a real relationship. Can y'all say a real relationship? All right. Since there's less of you, you guys are going to have to wake up with me because I still expect the same decibel level. Uh, so say a real relationship. Some of y'all need to get a coffee in the back and try again. All right. Because like I'm going to talk with you today. Uh, I am hyper because I had a coffee and I'm not supposed to do that. And, uh, and so I expect the level that I'm at. Uh, so um, that's how today's going to go uh, one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? So you might as well jump on board. Uh, but a real relationship, I guess what I want to talk about today, I really just had to uh, put it like that would be, is your relationship with God actually personal? Do you actually really know him? Or is it just because you're around certain people, because you grew up this way, because you know you're supposed to, right? 
And if that's the situation I'm in, can I begin to shift it into something real? Uh, too much happens in church that I see as a direct response to, I guess what I would call it as legalism, right? I'm, I'm keeping the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it, right? You know, the, as the story goes of the, the man who had the lantern, he used to have to shake the lantern, and, and uh, when a train would come by, if there was an obstruction, he would have to shake a lantern to let the train know, hey, you need to stop or you're going to crash. And then one day there was a big crash, and like everyone on board died. And so when he's in the jail cell and when he's getting ready to go into court the judge looks at him and says did you wave that lantern to let them know and he says yes I waved the lantern and then they look at him again the judge says did you wave the lantern and as the story goes he said yes again but he sounded less sure of himself and the judge says one more time did you wave that lantern to warn the people that they were all going to die like it is your job to do and he said yes but he said it's so skittish like he was lying and then on his way out, because they couldn't prove he didn't, so he was found not guilty, on his way out, a man runs up to him and says, how come if you really shook the lantern, how come the more people asked you, the less sure of yourself you sounded? And he said, because in truth, I waved the lantern. I just didn't have time to turn the light on. And so he kept the rules, but there was no light inside. He kept the letter of the law, but it still couldn't sustain and keep life. Many of us have that same religion. We're waving a lantern and saying, yes, I know Jesus, but the light's off because we don't want to take the time to turn it on. But I really believe that there is something God's called us to be. If I really, he really did die for me, there's a relationship I can have with him. Because the verse that we're going to read later, but I want to bring up now says that you are known by God. Not you know God, you're known by God. And I want to jump and I want to compare two people. Two people that both had very real relationships with God, but two very different outcomes because of how they used that relationship. And, and I think that as we compare between the two, and if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find that the person who ended bad is more like what our relationship with God is. Um, because I hear stories of other countries, of people on fire for God, of people, they're, either they're dying in the streets for God, and they're, they're going, like the church in China, like the coronavirus is going off, and, and their government's bringing them down, but that church is one, it's the second fastest growing church in the, in the world, only beat by Iran which is also going through very similar things, that apparently the Iranian church is the fastest growing church in the world right now. And these people are on fire for God. And so it's, it's interesting because what I find is most people, uh, we equate here in America how good I am with God based off of the amount of persecution I'm going through. As if, if I can't make my rent, if I'm being persecuted, if I don't have favor, if I'm not getting promotions wherever I go, then God must be mad at me. But then at a distance, we look at the churches in other countries and go, man, they're so on fire for God, I want to be like them. Meanwhile, they're being killed. They're not getting promotions. They don't even have a house. And if they applied our logic to their lives, they would never follow God in the first place. But the secret is, if you look at the Bible and you look at them, you're like, oh, no, 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 that makes a lot of sense. But if you look at the Bible and we look at most of our day-to-day's life, you're like, well, I mean, the church evolved from that, right? And, and so, like, Jesus set the foundation, but now we're in prosperity. And I don't necessarily know if that's the relationship God wants us to have with him. 
based off of things and stuff. And so I want to read about two people. We're going to, an Old Testament character and a New Testament character. Um, the Old Testament character, his name is Samson, right? Uh, Samson is a judge. A lot of people know his story. Again, even if you don't know church, you probably know his story uh, because he's essentially the Bible's version of Hercules, right? Like he's the big strong guy ripping apart lions and throwing things against the wall. And he has these supernatural abilities and he's He's big and he's strong and he's mighty and God calls him to judge and take care of his people. And you'll notice with Samson, he did all the things God called him to do, but it was always for the wrong motive. He never went out and defended Israel, but the enemy like messed with his house and so he killed them. And it was like, okay, so, so God won a victory. Uh, and, and, and they came and tried to take his, like, like his wife from him. So he gets mad because they take his wife who was from their country, and he killed all of them. Not because God called him to. He used what God gave him to get the things he wanted, right? And, and what we see is a particular Bible verse that the final time that he messes up, right, is when the, the famous story of when he cut his hair, right? You ever hear the song Hallelujah? She took your throne, she cut your hair, and from your lips, she, right? That's Samson, right? And, and it's a... She, this woman that he was in love with, right, as I've heard someone say, what brought down Samson was a woman in a nap. Like, he just wanted to sleep, and he just wanted to stay with this hot girl, but she wouldn't shut up. And so he finally gave away. We're done. We're done with this mic. I'm moving on with my life. Boo! We'll have to turn the effects off. Yeah. I was going to preach the whole time with it. Sound good? How are we? We good? Are we there? Are we emotionally ready? This string, I'm going to play with it the whole time. All right. Um, I have what is called ADHD, um, and God just hasn't for, took it upon himself to heal me of it yet. And so, okay. Um, I'm excited. Uh, so <laughs> he was killed uh, by a, a nagging woman who was hot and a nap, which, I mean, that'll preach. Uh, <laughs> but... But I want to read you the final moment where he messed up, where he finally tells her all of his secrets. We're going to go to Judges chapter 16 and read verses 18 to 21. When Delilah, y'all say Delilah. You know, it's crazy. People name their daughters Delilah. And it's like, oh, it's a Bible name. And it's like, she sucked. <laughs> like, don't do that to your kids. Never do that to your kids. Like, it's like I met like there's a southern girl I know and her name's Jezebel and she's like yeah my parents named me from the Bible and I'm like have you read that ever like she's the worst character in the whole Bible like she's in the New Testament and God's like yo she sucks like like God is like yo your problem is that you hang out with Jezebel and I'm like apparently get out of here girl and she's so nice she's the nicest girl like definitely just sweet but I, it's all I can think when I hear her talk. Um, but Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart. He told her everything. Samson could, had his strength because he was keeping what is called a Nazarite vow. Which means don't touch the dead, don't drink wine, don't cut your hair. By this point in the story, he's already touched dead and drinking wine. Uh, so all he had left was his hair. And he's like, yo, if you cut my hair, I'll lose all my strength. And she's like, oh, okay. And he goes to bed, and she cuts his hair. He didn't get beat by any army. He got beat by a girl. Um, 
uh, she called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, for he has told me all his hearts. Then the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Because she got paid. Kind of like Judas. Uh, she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. I don't know what that means. I've looked at so many commentaries. I don't know what she tormented. Um, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But here's the most important verse of what we're talking about. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. How do you not know that the Lord left you? Especially if you have this like superpower. How are you not aware that you don't have it? And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, Gaza, whatever, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he grinded at the mill in the prison. In his final moments, the thing that destroyed Samson is that he went and tried to take a fight that God hadn't, that God wasn't there for him with, right? He didn't have God with him in the battle. And he wasn't in the middle of turmoil. He was sitting in a room on a chair with one person. There wasn't a big distraction around him, and yet he wasn't aware that God wasn't with him. And I want to jump to one more character. Um, you may or may not have heard of him. He's kind of an obscure character in the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 8. His name is Jesus. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 42 to 46. Here's the thing about verse 42. Uh, it is, in my opinion, the worst verse in the whole Bible to break down and preach out of. And here's why. Uh, if you actually look at it in your Bible, it, it, it covers two time periods and two thoughts and two totally different sentences in one verse. I don't know why. So we're going to read the second sentence of that verse to actually just be thematically where we're at. So call this verse 42b, if you will. Uh, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, which that sucks. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. <laughs> Yet. Right? And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood was ceased. Immediately. Didn't take time. 12 years in one moment, gone. Which, that'll preach. <laughs> right? I've been struggling with this for years. In one moment, it could be gone. The difference is, is you've got to start spending your money and your time and pushing it towards Christ versus towards the things that you think will satisfy you. Right? But, and Jesus said, who is it that touched me? Remember, it already says that he's pushed on all sides. So he's being mobbed by a thousand people, and he goes, someone touched me. And it's like, yeah, a lot of us did. Um, and uh, who touched me? And then all denied it. Which, by the way, it's hilarious because he was pushed on all sides. So a bunch of people are touching him, and he's like, who touched me? Like, oh, no one was touching you. Like, just gapped out on him. Uh, and Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out for me. And so this is an interesting comparison because one man is in desperate need for God and still doesn't realize that God is there. And another man is so overfilling with God and so aware of God that when just one person touches him who needs need, the movement of the Spirit is so recognizable to him that he immediately stops and goes, wait, God's doing something. 
one man was aware of a little move. The other wasn't even aware that God had left completely. What kind of relationship do we have with God? If God didn't show up in your secret place, would it look different than your secret place normally is? If God didn't show up in your day-to-day, would your day-to-day change at all? Because we like to say, that, oh, he, I can't breathe without him. But a lot of people have been breathing without him. A lot of people don't know him, and they're doing their jobs, and they're doing well, and they're succeeding, and they're moving up in life. That's not what makes people look at you and say, wow, there's something different. What makes people look at you and say there's something different, honestly, is satisfaction. It's like, are you a genuinely content and happy person? See, it's not because you got the promotion that people say what's different. It's when you didn't get it, and you're still happy, that it's like, well, wait, why? (laughs) Right? Easy to preach, hard to live, unless you're living through the Spirit. Right? And so I want to compare these two today, but real quick, I want to pray us in. And I hate this mic. Dear Lord in heaven, I thank you for every person in this room right now, God. I thank you, Lord, that in your good grace and in your good providence, God, and in your, your divine plan, God, that you brought the people here who needed to be here to hear this message today and now. God, I pray that something would change in us. As we look to you and ask, God, who are you calling me to be? And how can I draw closer to you, Lord? And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, can you guys just like shout or something? Thank you. I like, I like emotionally need that today. So uh, <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about something before we jump into our main point because I just vent up here. That's part of why I became a pastor. Um, it's free therapy. Um, we, we live in a, in a very interesting time and a very interesting, you know, they call it like the selfie generation, like something I've heard said many times. And it's because people are always taking selfies wherever they go. Like seriously, my wife takes a selfie for no reason. Like, she, like, like one time she's like, our outfit looks the same. And they're like, it looked nothing the same. And she's like, just take a selfie. And I was like, why? And then like you never see the pictures again. They never get posted. And it's like a thousand photos. And it's like I seen one of them. And I'm like, why are we taking selfies wherever we go? But what I find so funny is that uh, because everyone's taking pictures now and, and they're editing them and they're getting just the right angle, right? Have you ever taken a group picture and everyone looked good except you? And what do you say? Oh, that's a bad photo. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's a great photo. You just happen to look like a turd. Everyone else looks fantastic. Yeah, and then everyone else around is like, we talk about it. It's a great photo. No, you look good. And it's not that you look good. And they know you don't, but it's that they look great. And they're like, no, that's awesome. I have a friend who is here, but they have a picture of, of them and their sister, and it's like a blurry picture. And I'm like, why is this picture even posted? But it's because in that picture, this person looks great, and the sister looks kind of dorky. And I'm like, it's a blurry junk picture, but you posted it because you look great. And it's just like, it's look how great the photo is. It's like, no, it's blurry. It's out of focus. What are you doing? Where is God in this? Um, and, and and he's in, right? But, but we do that, right? It's like, I've seen your Instagram pictures, And I know you in real life. They're not the same person. They're not the same picture. They're not the same anything, right? Um, And I was a part of like the, I guess they called them scene kids, right? With like the long hair and the skinny jeans. And it was all about the angles and the hair down in your face because we all had ugly faces but great hair. And so like we just like focused in on the hair. (laughs) And, uh, 
And I had a friend who was just, he was the king at getting the perfect picture. And the dude was just one of the ugliest people I'd ever met. But he had great hair. And so he would angle himself just right. And people would be like, wow, this guy, like people would be posting, oh, you're so hot. Like all these chicks all over his page, right? But he could never get any of them to date him because they'd meet in person and they'd never text him back. <laughs> like, seriously, just mobbing on him, right? All these girls, just like, oh, and then he finally meet with them. He come back, like, eh, it just didn't work out. I'm like, bro, it's because they saw your face. It's because you're not honest about your face. And uh, <laughs> and then you look at Tumblr, and you look, what is it, Tinder? What, what is people doing, like, swipe left and swipe right? Pinterest, whatever. Tinder, right? And so it's just people are just... <laughs> They're swiping. They don't. They don't read your bio. They look at your picture. Like hot, yes. Hot, yes. Ugly, no. Great personality, sure, no. And then some people's got like an anime photo. It's like no. And it's like because you don't post an anime photo unless you're aware. Um, even your hair's not nice at that point. Um, but but it makes me laugh because just, I think about this friend of mine, and he could get people interested in him from a distance. <laughs> but he could never keep a, a, a real intimate relationship. And, and the reason that happens is because when you initiate a relationship for the wrong reasons, it'll never work out in the long run. Right? And, and so if you could only get someone interested in you if they like your Instagram photo, uh, they're not interested in you. Right? Um, <laughs> relationships, and this is, scientists, sociologists, this is actually something that's coming out in a resounding amount like of information. Relationships are more shallow than ever. Uh, relationships are more fickle than ever. Uh, marriages, divorce is more than almost, I think, ever in history. It's like right now, the most divorces ever. Um, but I think it's because we've gotten so used to what we think a relationship should be. Uh, that we've stopped seeing what a relationship really is. Um, I, I know that it, it's funny because it's House, but there's an episode of House uh, where the you know that show always has like the moral dilemma, and all the characters all take a different side. And and in that episode, they were talking about marriage because this this couple's marriage was like jacked up. A and this woman was saying that marriage is real because they're. You know, like her, their marriage isn't any less real because it's only been a year than it is for someone with 30 years. And the other guy says, well, I don't agree with that because these people are divorcing now, whereas my parents have been married for 40 years. Like brush your teeth next to the same person every day for 40 years and tell me there's a difference. You know, and like I feel like that's so true that there's such a commitment when it comes to real relationships. Um, that we, we, we look for every door to walk out of relationships. And I could think of all the times that if I would have done that, that I wouldn't be in relationship with most of you that I'm in good relationship. Me and Thomas broke our friendship up like eight times uh, when we were just high schoolers, and that's what you did. Uh, <laughs> right? And then, but, now, but now we're ride or die, right? Like, please, I, I wouldn't put up with half of y'all if, if, if it was just based off of one moment. And we, I think we look for that moment as an excuse, But relationships like that go deeper, and I think that if we take that same thought and that same concept and apply it to God, how many of us have a great relationship with God when things are going good or when things are going really bad because they need God, but then kind of in all the middle time, we don't really have a relationship with him. It's, it's not real, and when things begin to happen we don't like, we'll leave God behind and say, oh, that church thing just didn't work for me, right? Or we, we go watch the Super Bowl. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) But when you get saved and Jesus Christ enters your life, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, begin to change us from the inside out. He actually begins to take that depression away if you walk with him. He actually begins to give you joy in your day to day if you walk with him. And Jesus says something so interesting in the book of John. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And later he'll tell them in the book of John, the Holy Spirit's going to come and bring to remembrance things about me. So what he's saying, with the Holy Spirit, you're going to see me. If you see me, you see the Father. And when Jesus is in the middle of this conversation, Philip, one of his followers, says, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says this, I wrote it down, have I been with you this long and you don't know me, Philip? So when he says, show me the Father, he says, so you don't know me? That that our relationship with God is is more than a distant, faraway thing. There are actually aspects of God working in our day-to-day life that helps us get to know and understand God. And I think many of us, we take shortcuts or we kind of live like Samson lived. So when God shows up in these big moments, but there's gaps in between. Where we see someone like Jesus who was so aware of God that when he was baptized, what does the Bible say? And the spirit remained, right? And so he was aware of God every moment and every day. And so kind of looking at this thought, I have three quick things. um, Because honestly, I love you guys. And I want all of us to be closer with God. But whenever I preach a message like this, you'll hear me say this periodically when I preach. Sometimes when I preach a sermon, I don't want it to be flashy or emotional because I feel like we could lose the weight of what's actually being said because we come up and have an emotional moment. Because not to like discourage you, and and again, I don't mean to discourage anyone, but think about even when we came up and prayed today during worship. Ask yourself honestly, have you gotten that prayer before? And did you see any change? Or was it kind of just the same old, same old? There comes a point with God where it's either time to take a step or just admit I don't have interest, right? Um, The verse people quote a lot is to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the next verse says, for God does all things in you. And so it's like, that is not a weirdly contradicting verse. Walk out your, you walk your salvation. God's going to bring your salvation. Which one is it? It's both. If God's doing the work, but I'm not doing any submitting, I'm not walking out my salvation, so I'm not saved. But if I'm walking this walk and talking this talk, but I'm not letting God come into my life, but the Holy Spirit isn't filling me, then it's just me and it's not God. But that Bible verse that we quote, I hear one of the other quoted, right? Oh, God's going to do all things through you. Or walk with fear and trembling. And it's like, it's actually the same verse. It's not two verses put together. It's actually just the same verse, (laughs) right? And God wants to be at work in our lives, but we have to be at work in our lives as well with God. It's a partnership. He's inside of us, within us, and though it is all through God, but it does require that when God says, hey, go do this, hey, go pray, hey, go walk, hey, say no to yourself, self-control, that's actually also God, even though I got to do it. And so I want to take three comparisons between Samson and Jesus very briefly 
um, and, and just wrap up the day and let you guys go about and have your things. We can we can come back next week and we can really just dive into this series um, because honestly, I feel like if I close the message now, I, I already said what I wanted to say. I, honestly, this is one of those days where it's like, just ask yourself, is your relationship with God real? And that's not a popular one and it's not one that gets a lot of amens and it definitely doesn't grow a church, but I, the Bible says that there's a greater judgment on me because I teach. And so if I teach to fill a room, but I don't teach to fill you, I have to answer for that. And honestly, in truth, and, and I don't usually share these kind of things because, well, for one, I don't like being really personal. It's just not my thing. That's something God's working in me. I'm a man with my high-pitched voice. And um, <laughs> it's just a world. Well, I'm a man. It's like, okay, Thomas, can you say it for me, please? He's a man. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, I don't ever want anyone to feel like they're being manipulated. But, I mean, if to be real, uh, my wife and I pray for you guys individually all week. Honestly, uh, we cry for you guys genuinely all week. Um, I, I don't have a day where I don't get along with God on your behalf. And by the way, I talk to God about my problems too. This ain't just like he's not totally selfless. Usually my problems are first, for the record. But it doesn't mean I don't, uh, it doesn't mean that I don't dive in and actually mention you guys. Look, there's only like 60 of us on a good day, and today there's like five. And so like it's going to be real easy to pray for you all this week. Um, <laughs> Super Bowl, hashtag. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, we'll, just, we'll just keep preaching, keep praying. Um, but. When I come and I say, like, is your relationship real? It's not because I want your world to fall apart. It's because for some of you, honestly, the answer is no. And I would love for you to realize that. And instead of falling apart going, oh, man, no, God, can it be yes? Right? That's desperately something in me. I don't want to play church. I, I do want to be a church. And I know that God has that ability that he can pour and fill us. But there has to come a point where I just say yes. And when we preached our five vision points, I hit a couple points where you guys went dead on me. And I was like, these are moments that we're not letting the Spirit change us. Because I can show you 8,000 times in the Bible where the Bible says prefer this building over your personal family. And when I said that, it was like, well, I mean, that's not God. <laughs> it is if you get to know him. Because when he left heaven and left his family behind and he came and died for you and put you first, he's just saying do the same thing. Amen? And so I want to bring these three points just to make us think a little bit. But like I said, I've already said my sermon. Anyway, um, Samson used his gifts for himself. Christ used his gift for others. Right? Let's unpack that. Again, like I mentioned earlier, when every other judge in the Bible, right, if you read the book of Judges, it's just this spiral, right, of the people sin before God, so God lets them go into their sin, and their sin ultimately leads to them getting destroyed, and so they 
Say, God help me. So God shows up. He sends a judge. The judge goes out, wins a battle, and the people come back to God. And the people leave God. They fall into their sin. Their sin leads to destruction. So an army comes and messes them up. And then because the army is totally messing them up, they come to God and say, hey, God, can you help us again? And then God shows up. He sends a judge. The judge saves them. They come back to God. And then after a while, they're like, well, I mean, was it really God? Or And then so they fall into sin. And, and it's just this vicious cycle in the book of Judges. And, and, and Samson was the last judge, but on the same time, he wasn't. Really, Samuel was. But in the book of Judges, Samson's our last judge. And after Samson, the Bible pretty much says, and the people never came back. Because even though Samuel, the second judge, comes later, he never really judged. He just brought a king, and then he backed out. He didn't go out and win these wars. He didn't do the typical judge thing. Samson did. And he did none of those things because God asked him to. And all of those things, because the, the problems going on with Israel just happened to have affected his life. And so he's like, oh, well, I guess I got to handle this. He had no heart for people. His gifts were just to make his life better. He used his gifts to get his wife. He used his gifts to get a nice house. He used the gift to destroy an enemy so that he could be more successful. He used his gifts to come against people that were bad-mouthing him. He used his gifts to go and, and literally, he's supposed to marry in Israel and he goes, I want a woman from over there. And so he uses his gifts to bully those people and get the girl he wants, right? And so he's getting his woman, he's getting his money, he's getting his life, he's using his talents for himself. And Jesus left heaven behind for us. Jesus was a gift, but he didn't use any of his power that he had on his own. He went and got baptized and the Holy Spirit came and he did everything through the power of the Spirit because that's what we're supposed to do. And so he only operated in gifts that we're allowed to operate in because I'm gonna assume he's God and there's extra things he could have done. But he only used the gifts that we could walk in. And he poured out in the people. He just poured out. And let me ask you, honestly, your gift, think about the thing. What do you want to be when you grow up, <laughs> right? Like, like that kind of thing. Like, I want to be a fire truck, right? Uh, yeah, I want to be Deacon Chad when I grow up. Uh, but I mean, like, not that idealistic thing of, like, I want to be a good person. I mean, no, really, what are your talents, and what do you want to do when you grow up? People are like, oh, I want to be a musician. And it's like, cool, how are you giving that to God in any way? But we need worshipers on the worship team. I, I love all of y'all who think you're called to be musicians someday. You very well might be. But are you applying it anywhere? Yeah. Well, I believe God's called me to be a CEO. That's awesome. We need all kinds of help around here that a CEO could facilitate, right? I just, I, well, think of what it is you want to be. I want to own a business. Well, this is a small business. We need your help, right? But is your gift going in any way towards your body or is it just going to feed your house? Yeah. Amen? And I want to read you a verse, and this is in Hebrews 13, verse 5. And keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Um, if you take your gifts and apply them to the house instead of towards, or, or just do both, right? God will take care of you. And the reason typically why we'll leave the church behind in favor of pursuing our other goals is because of that. We're not content. Because I'm not satisfied with my life unless I own a business. Well, that's actually a bigger problem. 
Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. I can't get around God because I have a business to start and pick up your cross and follow me. Those are literally opposites. So what's the opposite of God? Right? And so those are genuine things. We have to ask ourselves, what am I doing with my gift? Um, I, I have a friend who is, went to school for culinary arts, you know? And he, he was actually in my wedding party. He was one of my four people. And he suddenly got bit with how, he was working in a kitchen, and he was like, how is this helping God in any way? And so he shifted his schooling to missionary work. And now my friend Jared is getting ready to go be a missionary. And he said, what I really feel called to do is get churches together, and I'm going to cook these meals for people, these people who can barely make it by. I want to cook home-cooked meals for people who have not eaten a full meal in a long time. And so he took his passion, and he's bringing it out to God, right? And what's interesting about that is, like, that's so the gospel. Well, amen. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to take it any farther. I just want you to pray on it. Amen? I would love for today, like, how was church? <laughs> you know? But it's only going to be as good as you meditate on it. If today was a bad church service, it's because you didn't want to think on it. If it was a good one, it's because you're going to apply something God taught today. And I promise I'll shout again next week. I'm usually pretty good at entertaining, but I just, I feel so desperately that I can't do that this week. Samson only sought God when he was in need. Christ sought God's presence always. This is a question I asked myself that I'm going to ask you guys now. Is my relationship with Jesus only as real as my current problem? If I might not make the bill, am I more aware of God than two weeks after I paid it and I don't have to pay it again for another two weeks? How real is my relationship? And is it only real when I need something? Because if you're seeking God to solve a problem, you're not seeking God. You're seeking an answer to a problem. Amen? Um, and I think that's why the prosperity gospel exists the way it does. Because instead of saying who is God and how can we mold our lives around him. He begins to say, what are people's problems and how can I mold God around them to bring satisfaction to people, make them feel like it's God? Um, God will pay your bills if he wants to, but he didn't promise you he would. But if he wants you to have a home, he always will, right? And so you can't seek God for the bill because he'll give it to you or he won't, and that was going to happen irregardless. He wants you just to seek him for him. Was it Jesse or Deacon or Amelia? It was Amelia that just said, it, he's worthy. I don't, we shouldn't have to beg every week, hey, tithe, give into the church. Because he's worthy. I, I was talking with our church, and we're really shifting into evangelism in a couple months. Because uh, it's one of our three pillars. And from that point, I'm going to really start kicking things. Um, and, and what's so interesting about that is we're looking at the coronavirus, and I keep bringing it up mostly because of Zach. Um, <laughs> it's the drummer. Um, 
And, but I was just looking and it was like, if you look at the videos, not the media videos, but the videos people are releasing from their cell phones, um, there's like people dead in the streets. And it's like, genuinely, between paying this building and just taking care of the people immediately right here, we don't have enough money, resources, or people to do anything about that. But if a group of people desperately wanted to give, we would have so much to give. It, it's why we give. I'm giving unto something greater. I'm giving because I know that God's going to do something with this. And that I'm giving because this is my church. I trust these leaders, and I trust they'll do something with this. If anyone knows me, they know that I have no interest in hoarding money in a church. I have no interest in creating a stockpile in the back just in case something bad happens. I have every interest in when something bad happens, having to trust God because we put all the other money towards people in need. And we're just, we're not there where we can yet. But I think we should get there. Because God is deserving of it. And the people in need are deserving of it because God died for them. Amen? Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, James echoes this when he says, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Jesus echoes this when he says, knock and knock again. The psalmists echo this when they say, God, I'm coming into your presence. God, meet me here. When David says, I cry out for you all day long, they echo this, that they stopped just going to God when they needed something and they sought him with all their heart. And what happens is my relationship isn't one that's distant and isn't one that God appears and leaves and appears and leaves depending on what I'm going through, but it's one where I'm aware of the weight of his glory all day, every day. And did you know that's actually possible? I know people out in the mission field and they talk about how their churches feel that every day. It, you ever see the fairy odd parents? It's a show about a kid who has three fairy godparents, two fairy godparents, and then he gets a third one when they have a kid later. That's way later. Um, and they grant him wishes. And there was an episode where a rich kid found out that he had fairy godparents and he wanted him to lose his fairy godparents because he hated the kid and so what he did was he started this rich kid started coming up to timmy who's the main kid and every time he would have hey what do you want he's like oh i'm gonna wish for a steak dinner and he goes hey how about i just make you a steak dinner and throughout the episode every time timmy timmy was gonna make a wish to his fairy godparents the rich kid would just swoop in and answer the need before the godparents would and then towards the end of the episode, the fairy godparents almost leave. And they're like, well, you don't need us anymore, so we need to go to a kid who needs us. And though it was a dumb kids TV show, it's funny when I study this, I think about that still to this day. That in many of well, why don't we feel God? Well, because anytime you would need to go to him, you just get it answered somehow. Anytime you feel the temptation to go sleep around, you do. Instead of going to God and letting him satiate you. Anytime you feel that addiction riding up, you walk away from the superior addiction and go and fulfill that addiction's lust. And then you can't, so you're answering it and you're not letting God answer it. And so your relationship is distant because the closer I get to God, the less I can take with me. 
Amen? My last point, and again, forgive me. We'll, we'll, we'll giggle next week. I tried to start with a funny story, uh, but it ended up just being really condescending. So we'll try again next week. Uh, Samson, <laughs> Samson traded God for earthly pleasures. Christ found his chief joy in God. I, I've said this before, and I, I want to repeat it. There's a Bible verse that says, God answered Christ's prayers because of his reverence. And that verse is one of the most mystifying verses in all the Bible for me. Because the only reason why God got what he wanted was because God was reverent <laughs> to God. Um, but, but basically, it was Jesus found all of his joy in his relationship with God. And because of that, no prayer he asked ever went unanswered. Because if your chief joy is in God, you'll always pray unto him, and that'll always be a yes. Samson went to a party as a Nazarite who can't drink, can't touch the dead, and can't cut his hair. Samson went to a party, and at the party there were prostitutes and wine. He partook with both. There was a temptation, and he didn't say no to it. He exchanged the strength God had given him for worldly pleasures. Meanwhile, we flip to Christ, who was in a wilderness, hungry and thirsty for 40 days and 40 nights. And when Satan came to tempt him, he always answered with the word of God. He always answered with a bigger and more chief joy. You'll see in moments in Christ's ministry when he began to get really down, really tired, he would always go back to God. And when Samson got down and tired, he always compromised. He would exchange God for an earthly satisfaction. Later, Samson gets attacked by a lion, and he kills the lion. He defends himself. And then on his way back... He sees that inside the belly of the lion was a, a wasp or a, a bee's, like a honey nest or whatever they're called. What are they called? But they're, they're called honey, beehive. Yeah, they're a beehive. And, and he pulls out the honeycomb, touches the dead flesh, pulls out the honeycomb and eats it. He broke his second Nazarite vow. He touched the dead because he was hungry and he wouldn't say no to his own desires. Because... It's interesting to think about. I would never tell you if a lion was attacking you, don't defend yourself. But technically, when he killed the lion, he touched something dead. He broke his vow to protect himself. But when Christ was being met with the cross, he kept his vow, didn't protect himself, and specifically died for you. He didn't trade God for an earthly desire. He always put God first, even when it meant his death. And by the way, that's not going to happen to you here in America. Not anytime soon. And if we get radical, probably never. And kind of the end on the Nazarite vows, um, you don't cut your hair. <laughs> Samson was perplexed because he didn't want to cut the thing out of his life that was taking him away from God. And so he kept it near long enough to where he finally compromised. This woman is evil. I need her out of my life because she's going to pull me away from God. 
this woman is hot. If you cut my hair, I'll die. Oh, cuts his hair. When he felt the pressure, the Bible says that he was perplexed. That she so annoyed him, he finally spilled his guts. This wasn't some kind of loving thing where he loved her and trusted her so much that he spilled his guts to her. The Bible says that he was perplexed. He was annoyed. He was so mad at her that he finally just compromised because he was done, which that'll preach, right? Jesus is in the garden crying, and the Bible says he's so perplexed that he's bleeding blood from his head. And then he says, God, make this cup pass from me. He's feeling a similar vexation to Samson. Obviously not even close to the same. Jesus is his worse, but that's the point, right? So he's experiencing a deeper vexation than Samson ever felt. And in the midst of it, God didn't even answer his prayer. And he still got up and went to the cross and died. That he met God with prayer. He found his chief joy before God. And for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Christ's death glorified God. I used to think that when the joy set before him meant us, but it actually meant fulfilling the will of God. That Christ was so filled with joy of the concept of glorifying God through his death, burial, and resurrection that he endured the cross. God is good. He deserves everything we could ever give him, and he deserves much more. Uh, I love when we sing, uh, that was a hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Hallelujah here below. And just the, the first few verses, he says, we are an altar of broken stones, but you delight in the offering. You know, he, he sings about how all the angels are around you, and yet you still delight most in what we sing. God, God actually delights in you. God actually wants a deep relationship with you. And the reason why we don't have it is because we try to use him and add him to the things we want instead of letting the potter remeld us in his hands. Again, this, this, this message could never be emotional. It could never be who wants to be broken for God, but we need to get excited to be broken for God. We need to be excited to be built up for God. We need to be excited to actually cut those bad relationships out of our life because I finally want to do what's right. Yeah. We have to be excited about that. Yeah. The people that draw us away from God, no matter how much we love them, maybe we have to go through a season of focusing on God. I know so many people that'll do so well and be like, but whenever I hang out with this group, I always fall apart then what's my answer to you? Stop hanging out. But they're my family. I get it. But if they're destroying you, but they're my friends. I get it. But if they're destroying you, are they really friends? If they're destroying you, are they really family? What is a family supposed to be? Just blood? Or a group of people to belong to? People who love me and build me up. That's family. At least according to the Bible. And if we're Christian, that's our definition of everything. I want to end with, actually, let's read Psalm 1611. I didn't read that to you guys. Psalm 1611. Uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. If you say no to those things long enough and you finally sit in the presence of God, you'll find a better joy. Not the joy that satisfies you until the next joy, right? A lot of people know my history is heroin, right? And so that was great until it wasn't in my system anymore. 
and that I was un deeply unsatisfied and I needed to go find another fix, right? The Bible teaches us that we can have such a relationship with God being so satisfied that it never actually lulls and we never actually have to go find a new fix because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I love this, the fullness of joy, not a level of joy for a time, but being full with joy for the rest of your life. But what that takes is I have to say no to what I want, and I have to say yes to God's presence. Sin doesn't happen in God's presence. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. God never leads you to sin. I'm not saying every time you sin, the Spirit leaves you and then comes back after. But what I'm saying is you can't sin and be led by God. I got a thousand and ten verses for that, right? Because that's how Christ taught about it. And I want you to get set free. And again, if you come to the conclusion of any of this boring, unexciting message, just one that makes me think and is depressing, if you come to the end of this and go, you know what? No. No, my relationship is nothing like that. Again, don't use that as a license to go off the deep end. Use that as a license to go, wait, it, it actually can go deeper. And I want to go deeper. Galatians 4.9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? Whose slaves you want to become once more? Keep that up. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Paul's teaching, it's not possible if you really know God and are known by God to want to go be a slave again. You can have moments, but you can't have lifestyles. I had a conversation recently with someone where they said, I don't get it because I know you can't lose your salvation. Uh, but I did this, this, and this for this amount of time. How is that possible? And I said, well, you're doing really good now, aren't you? And so, yeah, I'm like, you probably got saved this time. That's an uncomfortable conversation because that implies all the rest of the time I was in church, I didn't really know God. But I think that's right. If we begin to actually know salvation and really understand it listen to me i promise you if you're saved you will never be the same again the holy spirit can actually come and fill your life so much that you will literally never be the same again i see it across the entirety of the bible and the problem is because we've wanted to fill churches i think we've set the bar low and been like this is salvation and then the super anointed people are here but i think anointing comes from just knowing god and if i really am known knowing god and i'm known by god i am anointed so aren't we all already here or have we suffered for a lower expectation of salvation because I would love it if you keep tithing I mean I know the wealth of the wicked is raised up for the righteous but I don't think that's what God meant and again please don't leave here being like well I'm going to hell get prayer talk about it how about this? Let, let, let me do a scary word I haven't used since I've taken over. How about you get baptized with the Spirit today? I'm not saying you'll roll around on the floor and speak tongues. I'm saying you'll be filled with God and your life will change. What if we try that? What if I try just taking the Bible literally? What if what it says, I'm just going to do, and I'm just going to see what God does? What if I'm actually going to treat my relationship with him exactly like the Bible says to treat it, and I don't apply my worldview or what my neighbor said, or I heard a pastor in 1992, but what if I actually say, well, this verse says this, I'm just going to walk in it. 
Let the band come up. We're going to worship.